Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. I'm so excited uh, to speak to you uh, tonight. Um, if, if you don't know me, again, I'm Ben Schneider. I'm the worship pastor. I, uh, I, I grew up here in Long Island, but, man, I went to Bible college down in the beautiful state of Texas, Dallas, Texas. Any southern people in the house? Anybody? Nope. Okay. All right, then. This is a great start. Um, but, uh, but man, I grew up uh, d- down there in an awesome culture in, in sort of this southern gospel culture where preaching was uh, not a spectator sport. Preaching, man, you could speak back. If you heard something you liked, you could say, preach, white boy, preach. You could say, amen. You could get up and dance. Um, so, man, I'm excited. We're going to have fun. Are you ready to have fun tonight? Is anybody? Anybody ready to just have fun tonight? We're good. We're going to have fun. Do me a favor, turn to three people, look at them, and say, I'm so glad you're, sit- you're sitting near me. Thank you. Thank you. Smell good. You look good. There's something about you. If you're single, this is your opportunity. You can get that number. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Oh, okay. All right, then. That was my pastor. I've simply entitled this talk for the next 30 or 35 minutes or an hour. I'm just kidding. We're going to keep it super short. Um, but I've simple and simply entitled this talk, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When God says wait, somebody say wait. When God says wait. Maybe you're here tonight, and, and I just said that title, and you're like, I knew I shouldn't have come to church on a Tuesday night. That's not even holy to come on a Tuesday night. Man, I, I want to share with you uh, something really, really awesome. And it's so funny. When we hear the word wait or when we hear a title um, like this, there's something on the inside of us that really tightens up because nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to wait in line. I remember, like, even in a drive-thru sometimes, I'll start complaining because the drive-thru is taking seven minutes instead of six minutes. Like, none of us like to wait. And I think sometimes when it comes to the things of God, we kind of view waiting as a means to an end. If you've uh, grown up in the church or maybe you've been here for a while, you might hear stuff like, oh, well, this is just the season and I can't wait till the next season. And, and sometimes we just kind of buckle in and, and we just hold our breath and say, well, I'm just going to wait. But, but tonight I want to tell you something. There's something powerful about waiting on God. Waiting on God is really a lost art. How many people know when God calls you to wait, it's not because he doesn't like you. It's not because he doesn't love you. It means if you're waiting, he's working. God has purpose in the waiting. So when God says, wait, and I, I, if we're honest um, tonight, you know, I, I, when God says, wait, it doesn't really make sense to me generally. I kind of have a timeline. If you're anything like me, you have a timeline of how your life is supposed to play out, and, and this should happen, and then this should happen, and then suddenly when those things don't happen, we can get so angry towards God because his timeline isn't fitting into our timeline, and I even think uh, like our generation, and I know this is talked about all the time um, in sermons, but now that uh, there's social media, I think so many people are like, man, social media it has like uh, ruined our generation. Our generation is the worst because of it, but I don't think that... Um, it's social, uh, social media's fault as much as it's a humanity thing. I think social media has exposed a problem that was already in humanity. And, and, and we live this life where, like, we're just living for the mountaintop. 
We're living for that next thing. And man, when that next thing comes, it's going to be awesome and it's going to be fulfilling. But the problem with the next thing is the next thing becomes the last thing. And we find ourselves for the majority of our lives living in this valley where we're waiting for God to do something, not realizing that is actually the life that God has called you to. You don't have to live from one moment to another. There is a promise and there is a really important purpose in waiting. If you're here tonight and you maybe you, you've been waiting for something for a long time or, or, or there's been something you've been praying about, I want to encourage you. God hasn't forgotten you. God loves you. And here's another thing. God doesn't just love you. God likes you. God wants to be with you. You, you don't serve a God that you have to pray and, and, and seek just to get to God. But God is the only God who, when we couldn't get to him, came to us. If you're waiting, he's still working. Somebody say waiting. Waiting. Uh, you know, people in the Bible dealt with waiting. I think sometimes um, uh, when, when I grew up, you know, I, as a kid, I and even now, it's not just a kid thing. I have like the attention span of a goldfish. I have like ADD. If you uh, tell me something, I'm going to literally forget it five seconds later. If you know me, you know that that's a real problem that I have. We're just going to air it out right here. But um, but I remember growing up, I would read the Bible, and sometimes the Bible would just become so jaded to me. Sometimes it would be kind of boring, uh, and, uh, and maybe you're here and you're like, man, I totally know what that means. Um, but, but what I started to do when I was reading the Bible is I started to put myself in these people's shoes. I started to put myself in their experience, and I realized that these people that the, the Bible a lot of times can be like Instagram in the sense of we see all of the awesome breakthroughs, all of the awesome moments, but do you have to realize tonight that these people were no different from you? These people were no different from, from your neighbor. These were just normal people. There was nothing supernatural about them, but there was something supernatural about the God that they served. And every time that they risked it all, God came through. But I want to look at a portion in the Bible, and if you're here and you've been waiting on something for a long time, I hope this is, in, this is encouraging to you because it's a, it's a picture of when God told someone to wait. And this person was doing everything right, and he was doing what God called him to do, but God still told him to wait. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And before we dive into this text, um, can you just bow your heads? We're just going to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Holy Spirit, I pray that I would move out of the way. And that, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, God. We don't want just a, just a smart word or a word from somebody. We want a word from heaven tonight, Lord. So I pray that we would leave this place changed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. First Kings chapter 18. We're going to look at the story of this guy named Elijah. And if you've never heard of Elijah, I want to give you some real-world context. Elijah was in a highly pressurized situation. You think you have problems. Elijah was literally the last person to serve God in his entire nation. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, it is so hard for me to witness in the workplace because what if they don't like me? Elijah was trying not to die. Like this was his life. Nobody else, there was no people around trying to serve God. And what had happened was there was a king who came in and he married this, uh, this woman who, who her name was Jezebel. And when he married her, she brought with her all of her false gods. 
And the king decided to honor Jezebel over who God had called him to be. And then pretty soon, the, the, the regime of this king, uh, king became a dictatorship. It, it became this, 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 this fascist regime where everybody had to serve Baal. And, and this was the name of their false god. And they built these statues, and it was so oppressive. And, and as a result, the people became so poor. It was literally like a modern-day North Korea, like worse this is the situation that they're in, and Elijah is the only one serving God, and he knows every day that, that there's, there's reason that he could die, that they could come after him, they could kill him. So finally, he has this showdown because there's a drought in the land for three years. And, and all these people, and put yourself in Elijah's position, all these people, that, that there's no water, and they're looking to Baal, and Baal's not answering because Baal's not real, and he's not helping them. And as they're trying to get answers, Elijah comes forward, and he says, this is my moment. And, and he says, you know what? It, it, we're going to have a contest. You bring your 1,000 prophets of Baal to this valley and set up an altar. And if Baal is real, he will burn up this altar. But if my God is real, I'm going to set up an altar on the other side. If he's real, he's going to burn this altar up. That's kind of crazy. Like he's like, my God, I know he's so real that in front of everybody he'll do this. So it says that the whole nation of Israel comes out. And Elijah's saying, I'm going to show you the God who can bring the rain. And all the, the, the prophets of Baal, they, they, be, they set up their altar first, and, and they start running around and, like, chanting, trying to get Baal to do this. And then pretty soon the people realize that they bought into something that was not even life-giving. How many people know just because everybody else is doing it doesn't actually mean that it's life-giving? And they bought into something that they thought would sustain them, but then they realized that this thing wasn't doing anything. And as, they're, as these uh, prophets are going around, Elijah literally starts talking smack to them. This is in the Bible. You're like the, these are real people. He looks at them and he's like, hey, are you sure? Baal's not like dropping a deuce right now and he can't hear it. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. You can read that story. Elijah is a gangster. He starts saying all these things, and then finally he says, okay, you guys have had enough, and it's the thousand against one. This is the calling of God sometimes on your life. So, so many of us want to say, God, I want to be a leader. I want, to, I want you to use me to change the world. And then God calls you to be a leader, and to be a leader means you have to go where nobody else is going, and it gets a little bit uncomfortable, but you have to realize the calling of God is found in the uncomfortable. And Elijah gets to this point, and this is where we find this story. He sets up his altar. And then he takes some water, which is so valuable because these people don't even have water. And he takes it and he pours what's most valuable to him on the altar. And as he pours it on the altar, he steps back. And I can just picture, just try to picture this. I picture just Elijah in the valley. And he just prays in front of the whole nation and in front of all of these prophets of Baal. He says, God, I know that you hear me. And can you, do, can you show these people that you are the true God and that you love them and that you are for them and that you are life? And this is where we find the story. In verse 38, the Bible says, Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. And then Elijah said to Ahab the king, Go get something to eat, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. What a moment. 
God does it, and it's awesome, and there's like revival, and, and Elijah's on a high. Has God ever done something for you that's just so awesome, and you like walk out of a service, and you're on this spiritual high, and you're like, man, nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. Like, you're... you're you're ready to go. Like you, you, Maybe you've been to a youth camp or a youth retreat. Maybe some one of our awesome prayer team prayed an awesome word over you, and you're like, man, this is amazing. And he was on that awesome high, and, and he tells the king, he says, go back because the rain's coming, and because all of this was meant to show that God could bring the rain. And then Elijah, it says this, so Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the town top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. And the servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. The Bible goes on and it says Elijah six more times. says, wait, I could just be, imagine Elijah's reaction. See, Elijah just had this incredible, awesome encounter, and, and God showed them, I'm the God who brings the rain, and then he goes and he prays, and if I'm Elijah, I must be thinking, this is it. God, this is your moment. The time is right for you to send the rain. The time, this it makes perfect sense for you to send the rain. And see, the interesting thing is, it's not like God is like a good God with fire, but not with water. Like, he's not like just like good at one thing. Thank you, Steph. You got that. Thank you. I can count on you. Um, but, 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 but what, what, see, God could have sent the rain immediately, but he chose not to. And, and I think sometimes, like, even uh, uh, maybe you're here tonight and you've had this awesome encounter with Jesus, this awesome moment with the Lord, but that thing that you've been praying for, maybe it hasn't come to pass. And what, what can start to happen when, when you start dealing with disappointment is you can allow your circumstances deter to determine who God is. You can start to measure where you are in life against the nature of God. And what happens is it starts to steal your faith. And you start getting so disenfranchised and jaded. I want to encourage you, you're not alone. This incredible prophet, he had this awesome moment and he prays and, and then he comes back. I could see him saying, what do you mean there's no rain? See, Elijah dealt with disappointment, but what I want to encourage you with is God could have sent the rain, but he didn't. See, if you're still waiting, God's still working. God didn't forget Elijah. If he caused Elijah to wait, I, I want to show you in just the next couple minutes, there is a purpose for your waiting. God doesn't forget you. If you're here tonight and you're like, I'm forgotten and this is my lot in life, that's the devil trying to steal something that God's trying to do in your life that he could only do while you're waiting for it to happen. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith means you can't see it. Faith means that the, you, there's no way it's supposed to happen, but you start believing the word of God over what your circumstances might look like, and you start to walk. Peter could have never walked on the water because he was a cool guy. Peter didn't have the gift of walking on the water. But Jesus said, come to a place that he shouldn't be able to walk. If you're here tonight and, and you're in a position that you don't know how it's going to happen, uh, what I want to encourage you with is you just need to follow Jesus. There are some awesome things. There's three things I want to talk about tonight that God does in the waiting. If you're taking notes, and if you're taking notes, we know that you go to heaven faster. That's in the Bible. So if you're taking notes, first class to heaven. Um, I'm sorry, Pastor Mike. I'm never going to be allowed to preach here again. It's okay. <laughs> 
So if you're taking notes, the first point I want you to write down is this. Waiting refines your heart. God can use your waiting to refine your heart. There's something about disappointing or difficult circumstances that bring out parts of us that we didn't know were there. You know, there have been some moments in my life where I've seen breakthrough. There have been moments in my life where I've seen God heal people of cancer. There have been moments of my life where I've seen miracles, even in my family, things I've prayed for and, and things that, that, that we've sought the Lord on. God has done those things. But I have to tell you that the, the moments that I've grown the most have been the moments that I've been l- believing God for those things to happen. The moments where I have to trust God. Can you imagine being Elijah the moment that the servant said, it's one thing for the servant to come back and say, hey, there's no rain yet on the first time. But what about the fifth time? What about the sixth time? Maybe you're here tonight and you're on the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time. And we start saying, man, this is kind of uncomfortable. See, waiting is, is kind of uncomfortable. You know, I remember when um, I was like five years old. Um, I, uh, my, my grandfather used to, maybe I was a little bit older than that, like seven or eight, but it doesn't matter. Um, but, um, my, my grandfather used to do this thing because there were six kids, there's six kids in my family. Um, he used to do this thing. And at the time I thought it was the coolest thing ever. He would come to our house and instead of celebrating our birthday separately, um, my opa would pull up and just be like, it's all of your birthday today. And, and as I grew up, I was like, you're a sneaky old dude. And I respect that. Um. But uh, he, uh, so what he would do is he'd pick us all up and he'd say, I'm going to give each one of you guys 20 whole dollars to spend on anything that you want. And man, as like an eight-year-old kid, that's the best thing in the world. Like $20, it's like amazing. It's like 20 Pokemon cards, like incredible. Oh, Pokemon fans in the house, okay. Um, and so uh, naturally, that's what I wanted. So my, my opa picked me up, and I remember uh, he, he said, where do you guys want to go? And I said, I want to go to Toys R Us, R.I.P., Toys R Us. But uh, that was like the place in Riverhead, and I was so excited. And, and I said, hey, can you take me to Toys R Us? And I remember he took us all to Toys R Us, and, and we got there, and uh, he, uh, he, he, we, we started looking around the store, and I couldn't find the Pokemon cards. And the, the thing with me as a 7- or 8-year-old kid um, I was like, as a child, I was incredibly shy. I was so shy. Like, if, if someone tried to talk to me, I would just, like, get so red in the face. And it's so funny now because God has called me to preach, and that's sort of how it works. Um, but but I, I was so uncomfortable with, like, talking to people. I was so shy. And, uh, and so I told my opa, I said, hey, listen, um, I can't find the Pokemon cards, but there's a really nice lady over there. Can you ask her to, to show us where they are? And he said, you ask her. And I was like, you're my grandpa. <laughs> It's 20 bucks. Come on. Can you ask the lady? And he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to ask her. So he grabbed my hand, and we walked up to the lady, and he said, hey, um, my grandson has a question for you. And he walked away. And I remember I was so angry. I was like just the little rage, and I was turned so red. But but I got through the conversation. I asked her where they were, and she showed me where they were, and, and I went and got my cards. But the, the, the funny thing about that story is, see, my the, the, those Pokemon cards probably cost like 5 or $10. Like my, my opa could have bought me all of the things that I wanted. It would have been easier for him to just go up to her and ask where the cards are and to get them for me, and then I'd be a happy little kid. But see, my opa was more concerned with me being a little bit uncomfortable and growing as a person than giving me the very thing that I wanted. See, you need to know that God isn't just creator of the universe far off God, but he's a father who loves you. 
He loves you more than you love you. The Bible says his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. That's not just a poetic, weird thing to say. He has a perspective that you don't have. And if he's saying, my mom used to always say this, that, that behind every no is a greater yes when it comes to God because he is a good, good father. That's who you are. <laughs> what am I saying? Um, see, God has something always better for you, but, but many times it's at the expense of your comfort zone. See, becoming more like Jesus will always bring you out of your comfort zone. There's an awesome passage in the Bible where Peter, he's one of the apostles, and Peter's writing to a church who's really going through it. Peter's writing to a church in the Bible who's incredibly uncomfortable, and I'll tell you why they were uncomfortable. This was a season of time where everything was shaky as this new church was arising, and the Bible says that thousands were being added to this church. They were having revival. The government was, was starting to see problems with this, and the times were shifting where they were starting to consider throwing Christians not only into prison, but to, into coliseums to be eaten by lions for the pleasure of the people. You think you have problems. These people are trying to not get eaten by lions, monsters. And, and they're stressed out, and they're sitting there, and Peter's like this awesome, anointed, incredible apostle, and he writes a letter to them, and he basically says, hey, I have an answer to your suffering. And they're all on the edge of their seats, so excited to receive what Peter says. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1.6, he says, hey, in this you can rejoice. So I'm about to tell you what you can rejoice in. They're like, yes, Pete's, Peter's about to give us the, the answer. And he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What was Peter saying? He said, hey, you can rejoice in these trials because the faith that you have, the only way it can be grown is in the fire. He was saying the only way you can grow in your faith and do incredible feats for God, it's found in the day-to-day -day circumstances where you don't see the ending. And he gives the purpose for it. See, the circumstances that feels like it might be killing you is the very thing that God has for you to grow who you are in him. He, and he goes on to compare faith to gold. And I, this is what I want you to catch tonight. He says, hey, your faith, it's being purified like gold. How they used to purify gold. I don't know if they still do it this way because I don't really follow gold stuff. I just studied it for the message. But how they used to purify gold is, is they would take this gold and, and the blacksmith would put it. The only way gold could be purified was if it was put in the fire. And what would happen is this gold would turn blood red. And once it was blood red, what was so interesting is these corruptions that were in the gold could be seen so the blacksmith could remove them. But the corruptions that were in the gold could only be seen when it was heated under the fire. The only place that those things came forward. So you see, there were, there were I've gone through some things in my life where I didn't even realize that there were doubts in my heart. There were things that questioned the nature of God. I didn't even realize them until I was a, at a place where those things came to the surface. And what's interesting is Peter says those things are corruptions. They're not the gold. You might be hearing, you might be feeling those corruptions and you start to identify yourself by your doubts. And you start to identify yourself by your disappointments. And the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I showed you those things so that I could resolve them in your heart. 
so that I could speak life to them. I show, maybe that hurting came up because I want to show you that I'm the healer. Maybe that pain that, that's at the bottom of every time you, you get into a relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or it's a friendship relationship, there's, there's some awful reactions that might come out. The Holy, and you're like, why is this happening? And the Holy Spirit's saying, because I want you to be more like me. You don't have to be afraid of the fire. Peter's saying it's the very thing that prepares you to be who God called you to be. He later goes and he says this in 2 Peter 1. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. This is so interesting with virtue. The Bible says that virtue is virtue. The, uh, the, the definition of virtue is character. What Peter is saying to the same church is he's saying, hey, the only thing that grows your faith is character. If, if you want faith for the big things in your life, you have to understand it's directly connected to faithfulness in the little things. You might be here tonight and you're like, man, I can't wait for the next season. I can't wait. And man, I want to encourage you with something tonight. God has incredible things in store for you. He is a God of the next season. He is a God of life. He is a, a God of, of good, good things. And he has awesome things in store for you. But I'm just posing the idea that maybe we're delaying the season because if God allowed us to get the toy that we wanted, he knew that, if we, that, that we wouldn't be ready to, to carry that thing because there's still things he's trying to do in your life that he can only do in this season. He's a good father. He, Peter says that the the, the, the only thing that grows your faith is being faithful in the little things. You know, I, um, I have, a, I, I have a, a little boat that's like my pride and joy, and her name is Seduced. That's the name of the boat. I inherited this boat from my grandfather. But, but I love this boat so much, and it, it's, it's been like one of my favorite um, things to, to, to do and to work on and all this stuff. And um, a, about two years ago, the only problem is I've had so many issues, and the boat keeps breaking down. And, and you know what? It's just a whole other sermon. Um, pray for my boat. Um, add that to the list, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, but but I, I remember I was working on it the other day, and um, one one of the uh, the mechanics was was talking to me, and and my grandfather was talking to me. He said, "Hey, you got to be careful. Um, I, I just bought a new engine, which is awesome." And he said, "Hey, the engine is great. It looks like it's running awesome, but I noticed that there's some soft spots in the hull." There's some soft spots in your boat, and see, the, the problem is there might be th water damage that's happening under the, service, the surface, and it doesn't matter how much firepower you have. If the hull isn't taken care of, your engine might be going, but your hull could be falling apart. You know, I, there's, there's a, a, another story of a boat, this boat called the Titanic, and, and the problem with the Titanic, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of it, <laughs> But, but the problem with the, the, the Titanic and it was, was like the, the highlight of, the, of a generation. Everyone was super excited because this boat was gigantic and it was going to go on treks that hadn't been done with that many people before. They were so excited to get it done that, that uh, we know that history tells us that they cut some corners. And what, what they did was um, normally there's these rivets that go on the hull that are made of steel. But because they wanted to get it out so quickly, they mixed in with those rivets on the hull some iron rivets. And the problem with these iron rivets is that they hadn't been tested in the water temperature that it was going to be going to. And so this Titanic had all the firepower in the world. 
This Titanic had more firepower, more, more, um, just, just everything than than any boat that had been created. But um, when they when they went, and they started going. It was incredible until they got into some waters that the rivets weren't made for. And when they hit that iceberg, um, we know that history tells us because they didn't use the right rivets, the, the boat literally unzipped like a jacket, and, and almost everybody died on that boat. And it was because they decided they wanted to cut some corners. On the hull. And what I want to encourage you with tonight is we always want to go faster, but God wants you to go further. Okay, then. I will. We always. If you're anything like me, I'm always wanting to get to the next level, the next season. And then I say, God, what is the next thing that you have for me? And and God says, I kind of actually want you to work on loving your family a little bit better. And then I start saying, well, God, that's, that doesn't sound like changing the nations. That doesn't sound like it. And God's saying, well, that's the, that, I'm not worried. I don't see. Here's the, the truth of the matter. God doesn't need you. He wants you. God doesn't need you. He likes you. There's a story in the Bible where God literally uses a donkey to change a generation, to show this prophet that he's more concerned with the work he's doing in him than what he could do through him. You are God's treasure. You are God's, you're the reason, Jesus didn't die so we'd be a bunch of robots that live out an American dream and just do some things that he called us to do. Jesus died so we could have a direct connection to the creator of the universe and we can wake up every day and get face to face with God and say, God, I want to know you. And he changes us and he grows us and he gives us peace and righteousness and joy and he crushes anxiety and depression. Those are the relationships that God wants. God wants to use the waiting to refine you. And the second thing is this. Waiting reframes your purpose. Waiting reframes your purpose. See, I think it's really interesting. There's two leaders in this story, and and if you ever read this story, we generally tend to just focus on one of them. But the Bible says this in verse 42. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. There's two leaders in this story. There's only one that we hear about, but see, Elijah, he was the prophet to the nation, but Ahab was king of the nation. Ahab was the one who was supposed to be leading the nation. But what's so interesting to me, that when God said, hey, I'm going to do a miracle, Elijah was the one who said, okay, well, you know what? Until that happens, I'm going to get in the presence of God. And I'm just going to get down before the Lord. And he realized that the promise of God wasn't going to carry him in the waiting, but his presence would. And Elijah just drew close to God, and every time he faced disappointment, I love, Elijah just didn't just wait for something to happen, because what happens is, if you just wait for something to happen without waiting in the presence of God, you become bitter towards God. See, every time Elijah faced disappointment, he went back to the presence of God, and I can imagine Elijah saying, God, I don't know why this is happening, but Lord, I just need to be with you right now. Man, that's, that's really what prayer looks like. This isn't a message to say, don't complain about your waiting. Ignore the feelings that you have. That, that, that's not this message. See, God isn't afraid of your emotions or your feelings or your doubts. He's a God not just of spirit, but he's a God of truth. He's a God of honesty. The Bible says true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? That means someone who engages with God in a spiritual level, but someone who's honest with God. 
I love King David. If you ever read the Psalms, I love King David because I feel like we would get along because I'm kind of a musician. He's a musician. He's super emotional. I'm very, very emotional. And I, I, I just like love hearing this dude like uh, I don't hear him speak because he's dead. But reading what he says, um, the, if you ever read the Psalms, I love his prayers because all of David's Psalms start like this. God, where are you right now? God, you said that you would do this, and, and, and you said that, that my, my family would reign, but, but, but now there's people after me. There was a moment where Elijah's, uh, where David's own son was trying to dethrone him. And David was saying, God, have you forgotten me? This was the faithful, powerful King David that God put a call and an anointing on. You're in good company tonight. But what was so awesome about the Psalms is every time David would come into the presence of God, it would always start with those things. But at the more he began to speak to God, the trajectory of his prayer began to change. Why? Was it because David was this brilliant guy? No, it was because the presence of God shifts your heart. It shifts your perspective. There have been many times that I prayed to God about frustrations. And you know what? I, uh, there are a lot of times I haven't left with answers, but I've left with peace. So Elijah goes back to the mountain, and he's, and he's just, every time he faces it, he's praying. And he's praying for the people. But see, what's interesting is the king of everybody, the king of Israel, this is what he did. The Bible says that Ahab went to his tent to drink and eat. Ahab decided to wait by going to his tent of plenty. And what's so interesting to me is while the whole generation was just 10 feet outside of his tent, starving and, and so thirsty, all Ahab was concerned about was his own drink and his own eating, waiting for something to happen. I mean, you know, I was so convicted because how many times is the promise that I'm waiting on only concern me? How many times is my prayer life only concerning the things that I want and the things that I need? And, and we come before God, and why hasn't this happened? And, why, and God's saying, hey, there's a whole generation that's dying out there. There's a whole generation that doesn't even know who I am. But, but I love Elijah's reaction. Elijah, when he was praying, you have to understand, he, he wasn't praying for himself. He was praying for others. The waiting was reframing his purpose. See, another way to define waiting is to serve. Another way to define waiting on someone is to serve them. You know, um, my, uh, my, my dad is, if you ever met my dad, um, Scott Shiner, he's awesome. He's one of the best dudes and fathers and uh, just, just a great guy. And, and me and my dad have a really close relationship. And, um, you know, I talked to him about a lot of things. And um, about a year ago, um, eight months to a year ago, I was going through a really uh, heavy, like, depressing time in my life. And um, at up to until this point, I had never really um, experienced depression or anxiety. And I kind of thought people who said that were just like dramatic people. Um, but but there, there came a point where I was just so overwhelmed with uh, just life circumstances and things happening that, that I just started getting so so depressed. And, and I remember I used to call my dad and, and tell my dad everything and talk with my dad. And I remember uh, one day I, I, sh I was talking to my dad across uh, his dinner table. And um, he's sitting there and I'm just uh, pouring out my heart to him. 
I'm just like, it's, I'm just like letting it flow. I'm like, Dad, I don't get it. If, if, and, and if God is who he says he is, then why is this happening? How many people though know that just because you're a pastor, just because you've been a Christian for a long time, doesn't mean that things can't happen in life. Doesn't mean that you can't have these experiences in life. And I remember just saying these things to, to my dad and pouring out all these things. And I'm angry and I'm frustrated. And my dad was just sitting back and just listening. And finally, um, he just says, hey, Ben, can I just interrupt you for, for one second? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, hey, I think I know what can, um, I, I, I think I know the, what can solve this issue in your life. And I'm super excited because if you ever talk to my dad, he's a really wise guy. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to get the answer to my anxiety. He's about to just well, tell me what I need to do. And he says, hey, I think you actually, I think you need to go serve somebody. And I was like, what? <laughs> you didn't listen to me, dad. <laughs> You're getting older. No. It, I, I was like, dad, that's not, that's, I didn't say anything. I, it's not about serving somebody. I, uh, you, you, it's <laughs> the pastor Ben talking right now. And, and I'm telling him all these things. And he says, hey, Ben, I think maybe you're a little bit too big in your picture right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it felt. He said, hey, I think, I think maybe you're just a little bit too concerned with yourself. Why don't you just go serve somebody? And I remember being like, all right, I'll go serve somebody. And so I called up one of my best friends, uh, Pastor Scott, and I called him, and, um, and I just said, hey, man, what, what are you doing today? And he said, you know, I'm just, like, doing some yard work around the house and uh, with the kids and stuff. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll come help you. And he was like, what? Okay, yeah, sure, come, come help me. So I spent that day, and I remember I went over there, and I grabbed a rake, and I just started raking some leaves. And, and, leaves. and you know what that was happening? The Holy Spirit was doing some Mr. Miyagi work in my heart. Because, see, as I started to just help Scott and just help and, and just do things and just help around uh, the house and just and spend some time with some people that were uplifting and actually loved Jesus and some people that, 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 that were looking to Jesus and, and just serving them, I started, uh, at the end of the day, I got back to my house, and, 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 man, all that heaviness had just fallen off of my shoulders. And, and man, I just started thinking, man, it's going to be all right. I, you know what? I do have a good life. Man, man, you know what? I, I'm, I'm alive today. I got friends who love Jesus. God, thank you for the things that you're doing in my life. Because, see, your purpose isn't just found in promises. Your purpose is found in putting other people ahead of the need that's right in front of you. Man, God can relieve you of those things. I love Jesus. He tells the disciples who are dealing with this very same thing. He says, hey, he stops his whole talk and he says, hey, I want to tell you guys something. You don't need to worry about anything. He says, look at the lilies in the fields. They don't do anything, but they look so beautiful because God made them and he takes care of them. Look at the sparrows. They fly and they have a place to go. And how much more valuable are you? And what Jesus was saying is, he goes on to say in 633, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble, enough trouble on its own. What Jesus was saying is, if you put me first, and if you put the people around you first, you're going to find your purpose right where you are. You're going to find your purpose in my provision. I know everything that's going on in your life. I know the things that you're praying for. I know the wounds in your heart. But what Jesus is saying, the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is him. The only answer is knowing God. Jesus was reframing their purpose. And I wonder if you're here tonight, maybe you are God's promise to someone else's process. 
Maybe if we could get a little bit outside of ourselves and serve Jesus exactly where we are. See, I think it's so interesting to me that all of the miracles of Jesus, those miracles didn't happen when he arrived somewhere. They all happened on the way. You look in the Bible, it says Jesus was headed to the temple, and as he's headed to the temple, there's a woman with an issue of blood. And this woman, she knows she was forgotten by everybody. It says doctors didn't even know what to give her. And this woman, there's a whole crowd around Jesus because he's like the LeBron James of Israel. He's so celebrity. Everyone's crowding around her, and, th- and this woman comes forward, and she says, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me, Jesus. And, and he can't even hear her, and it says that she rushes through the crowd, and she gets through everybody, and she grabs the hem of his garment, and Jesus immediately feels power go out from him, and he stops everything. He was headed to the temple. He was headed to teach a, a ton of people. He was, he was headed to a place of influence, but he stopped everything, and he says, hey, who touched me? And his disciples are like, Jesus, we're around a bunch of people. You've been out in the sun too long. Everybody's touching you. And Jesus said, no, somebody touched me on purpose. Who touched me? And the, the, the crowd parted, and there was this woman with the issue of blood. And she looks at him, and she says, Jesus, it was me. And I, I'm, I'm totally healed. And Jesus got on her level, and he embraced her. And, and then as he's doing this, there's another there's another man. He was actually headed to another man's miracle. And, and what's so interesting to me is Jesus was always stopping, pe- stopping for people along the way. Maybe you're here, you've been struggling with your purpose. Where are you right now? See, your purpose is made super clear when you stop waiting and you start serving. And I'm not talking about church. Church is awesome. You should serve. We have the best team in the world. But I'm talking about serving Jesus. The more that I've found that I've served Jesus, the more the Lord has given me a heart for other people. You want to know why? Because I can trust him with my future. When I give of myself, it's not my blessing level isn't going down in the Lord. The Bible says that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Where are you now? Because I have a feeling there's someone in this place, and you are God's promise to someone else's process. The last thing is this. Waiting renews your strength. Waiting renews your strength. Isaiah 40 says this, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He, I love this, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. It doesn't say he gives power to the powerful. Are you faint tonight? Are you discouraged He gives power to the faint. If there's a need in your life, it's because the Lord wants to fulfill it. And I want to tell you something. I'll give you a shortcut in life. No person, no career, no Instagram like can fill 
that thing in you that, that wants to be fulfilled. You were made by God to be filled only by God. And when we finally get to the point where we say, I don't, I'm tired of in the waiting, running to this and running to that, and just getting emptier and emptier, you know, there's, and just in closing, there's, there's a woman, and the Bible says there's a Samaritan woman. And Jesus is going around doing these incredible miracles. And the, and the people love him, and, and, and there's always flocks of people, and Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, and I mean, his, I mean he, his social media must have been going wild. His, it was just an incredible moment for Jesus, and then he gets to, uh, he's walking to this place, and he's tired, so he sits at a well, and he sends his disciples. He says, hey, can you go ahead? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait here. Can you get some food and do what you need to do? So they leave, and as he's sitting there, there's this woman who approaches the well. And why this is interesting is because it's the middle of the day and all of the women back in Bible times, they would go to the well early to get water for the entire day. So if a woman was going to the well at the middle of the day, it was because she was trying to avoid everybody else. And she's headed to the well and, and, it, and it, makes, it makes sense that Jesus is sitting there. It's pretty on purpose. And as he's sitting there, the woman goes up and she starts filling her water and Jesus looks at her and he starts speaking to her. And she's like, why are you speaking to me? I think it's interesting that Jesus was the one who was being inconvenienced, but he was the one who started the conversation. And, and it would probably would have been more comfortable for him to roll up the window of his life, to, to look down at his device, to just ignore what's going around him. But Jesus had such a heart for other people that he couldn't ignore the people because he realized that the people were his mission. And Jesus is sitting there and he says, hey, hey, what are you doing here at this well? And she says, I'm getting water. And Jesus says, hey, I've got water that, that you'll never be thirsty again. And she says, What? <laughs> She says, and it's, I love her, this woman. She goes, what is that water? Because I'll, I'll take that because I don't want to come back here anymore. And Jesus looks at her and, he, and, and then he gets right, he cuts right to the heart. And he says, hey, let me ask you something. Where, where is your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And he says, that's right, because you've had five husbands. And she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. That's what she says. And then she gets super spiritual because she had just come to get a little bit of water. But see, Jesus made it super personal in a moment. And, and, and when he spoke, it spoke to something that was hurting in her. She had been trying to avoid this moment. Maybe you're here tonight and when the Holy Spirit speaks, it speaks to something that's painful in you. It speaks to a hurt that's so deep or it's something that you don't want to address. And I love how she responds. She says, Jesus, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she starts asking these religious questions. What's the proper place to worship? Where are we supposed to go? And, and Jesus starts playing along. And then, and, and then finally, he says, she says, well, wh how are we supposed to worship? And he says, I need to tell you something. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And he starts speaking life over her and love over her. And she looks at him, and she says, sir, are you, and she just has a revelation. And in this place that she's waiting with Jesus, she gets a revelation of who he is and how much he loves her. And the Bible says that she asks him, are you the Savior? And he says, I am he. he she's one of this, this woman 
who had all these issues, was one of the first people that ever found out who Jesus was. But what's so interesting about that is she had that revelation at the waiting, at the place where Jesus was waiting. The last thing I want to encourage you with, the Bible says those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. It doesn't say those who serve the Lord, those who sow to the Lord, those who preach to the Lord, those who sing to the Lord. It says those who wait for the Lord. Why? Because waiting implies intimacy. Waiting implies time with Jesus. You know, it's so weird Anytime I've put Jesus first in my life, whether that's in my finances, whether that's in my time, there have been times that I've uh, wanted to do things and the Lord has just said, hey, I, I want you to just spend some time tonight with me. Anytime I've woken up early in the morning and, and made a little extra time for my, it's so weird. When I spend time with Jesus, even if I have a really busy day, if I do that, somehow I, I get more done. <laughs> somehow, I, I, I stop being anxious about those things that I'm anxious for. And what I'm talking about tonight is there's a lost art in the waiting because it is waiting on the Lord. The last thing I want to share with you tonight is the Bible says that Elijah prays and on the seventh time, the servant comes back and he says, I see a cloud, but it's only as big as a fist. And Elijah gets up and his reaction is crazy. He says, hey, you tell Ahab he needs to go back because there's a rainstorm coming. And I could see Elijah's servant being like, what? Did you hear what I just said? It's a baby cloud. But see, Elijah was celebrating the baby clouds like it was a rainstorm. I wonder what would happen in your life if you started celebrating the baby clouds like it was a rainstorm. I wonder what would happen if you started waking up every day and in the middle of everything that's going on saying, God, I thank you for the breath in my lungs. God, I thank you for the incredible church family that I have. God, I thank you that I should have died six years ago, but I'm here today, but by your grace. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're delivering me from things. God, I thank you that you're not done with me yet. And as you start to do those things, as you start to celebrate those little, those little clouds, the Bible says what happens is all of a sudden as Elijah is saying that, that the clouds come come together and they get super dark and the thunder starts to happen and Elijah gets up from his prayerful position and it says that he outruns Ahab's chariot. Elijah literally, I want you to, he outruns a chariot of horses. This isn't a message to say that if you do your devotions, you can outrun like a Toyota Prius. That's, that's not what this sermon is. But, but, but what's so interesting to me is see King Ahab was sent there to kill him. But when Elijah spent time with Jesus, he got up out of that place and outran the very thing that was sent to kill him. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're here tonight. You've been fighting anxiety. You've been fighting hopelessness. You've been fighting these things on your own. And Jesus is saying, hey, this is what all you got to do. Come to me, everybody who's weary. Everybody who's heavy laden, this is what Jesus says. He doesn't say serve more, sing more, post more, do more. He says, I want you to lay it all at my feet. I want you to lay every dream. I want you to lay every disappointment. I want you to lay everything. If you're weak, if you can't do it, you can come to me and I will give you rest. He says, oh, let's trade yokes because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
the only way you can outrun the things that are sent to kill you. It's not complicated, and if you're here tonight, I know I talked too long, but if you're here tonight and you're looking for this extensive theological thing, all I want to tell you tonight is what was so awesome about the disciples is they started moving in who they were called to be, and the only thing that people said when they saw them was, oh, aren't those the men that were with Jesus? You don't graduate in spiritual maturity by how much you know. You graduate into who you're called to be by knowing who knows you. It's about who you know. It says, the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. And, and the, the very last thing I want to share with you tonight is, it was so interesting as I was preparing this message um, I, I, I got to the end and I had finished I wrapped it up and I felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want you to look up the meaning of that word, that word Jezreel. I want you to look up the meaning of the place that Elijah ran to. What was so awesome is in the season where Elijah was waiting... He was praying and he was sowing into his promise. He was sowing into the things that God had called him to. He was sowing into, God, I know that you're going to do it. But see, the place that Elijah ended up, Jezreel, when I looked at the definition, it literally means this, God sows. And what was so amazing is while Elijah was sowing into his season, God was sowing into Elijah. See, the promise you're after is not the treasure of God. You are the treasure of his heart. That the whole time through that process as Elijah was praying, God, would you do this? God was saying, Elijah, I am making you more like me. You could give it up for Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet here tonight? And, and I, I, I really wanted to encourage somebody tonight. There is purpose in the waiting. There's a calling in the waiting. If you're still waiting, God's still working. If you're here tonight, and, and just, just every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here tonight and you're just been, you've been discouraged in the season of life, I feel like the Lord wants to release just a revelation of his nearness and the fact that he's with you in this circumstance and he's using it to make you into the person he's called you to be. If you're here tonight and you just need a little bit of hope, you just need a little bit of joy, you just need a little bit of purpose, if that's you, I just want you to stretch your hands out. Nobody looking around. Thank you. Yeah, you do it for you. Don't worry about who's next to you. Jesus, I just lift up every single person in this place. God, we speak your promises, Lord. We thank you, God, that you said, I know the plans I have for you. They're for good and not for evil. They're to give you a future and a hope. Lord Jesus, make us a generation of people who will wait in your presence. When we don't know what's going on, we'll wait in your presence. When we're disappointed by life, we run back to you, Jesus. Make us an authentic generation with authentic faith that says, God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. Lord, I pray that our church, God, would be filled with men and women who are making room in the season of waiting for other people to come to know you, Jesus. Give us a heart, Lord. Give us a heart like yours. Give us a heart like yours. Come on, let's begin to lift up the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.